Okay, so the title of this is a little out of pocket, and I get it. The thing is, this whole episode actually talks about finances, which is something that I never really talked with my dad about before. And for this, I invited my little sister Cecilia to come on because she's the one who works with finances in the family. So she's got some questions about finance and the story that that tells. This episode is really interesting. It gets super fun. And trust me, you will understand the title as you get towards the end. Uh, Drinking Diesel in Butt-Naked Apple Orchards makes total sense to you after you finished it. As always, thank you so much for listening. And I'm telling you, you're going to love this episode. All right, let's get this party rocking. Perfect. That's a great intro sentence. I like that. So uh, go ahead and pull the microphone closer, just so everybody at home can hear you nice and well. Don't it doesn't have to. Yeah, you don't have to worry about how you look. We don't. We're not using the video on this. We're just using okay, the audio. Okay. Good. All right. Cool. Yeah. So you don't have to worry about that. Well, we're uh, hi. Uh, I'm Nate. Welcome to the podcast. I'm here with my dad, OC, or he likes to be called Land OC. On this Olander. Episode. Olander. Yes. Olander. <laughs> yeah. right. It's just so hard for me to pronounce. Um, yes. We've got a special guest today, uh, another person who continues to make this podcast conversation with my dad. It's none other than my sister, Cecilia. Hello, Celia. How are you? Hi, everyone. You just jump right in. Hello, Celia. Yeah, there's no need to wait. Is that that your hello, Dad? Hello, Cecilia. How are you? I'm good. It's... uh... 42 degrees here in South Dakota, but it feels like 32 because of the wind. Mm. uh, Wonderful for you. (laughs) We might have some October snow overnight. We'll see. Oh, my. Get out. That's great. Yeah. Yeah. Let let it snow. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Oh, well, this podcast today, Dad, um, the reason why Cecilia is on here is we're just going to talk about finance, money, making money, making moves, making money moves. Sort of. Um, sort of. Oh, I'm sorry. Maybe I don't know. Celia, would you like to introduce it? Do you know it better than I do? I know it better than Nate does. <laughs> <laughs> but I thought we could. So we, I think, you know, I'm in a graduate course where I'm learning about um, the psychological side of money and behavioral side of money. And it's something I've talked to you before about, which is like money history, kind of like your money autobiography. Yes. So um I thought maybe we could walk through that. I have some questions for you and for Nate, too. I think it'd be interesting to hear that. And um, this doesn't have to go public. We can cut it and you know keep it internally for the family. But I thought either way, it would be interesting to chat yeah, with we, you about it. Um, yeah, we can give I, Nate more work is what you just said. We You said we can cut it as if you were going to do any cutting. Sorry, Nate's going to cut it. <laughs> but I thought, you know, sometimes depending on what we talk about, it doesn't have to go mainstream because it's money and that can be like an intimate topic as well right. so, right. <laughs> um, so yeah i thought we would talk about that at some point i want to talk about some other things um kind of your experience with money as a black man in america at some point but i figured today let's explore like your money autobiography where you got to your feelings and beliefs about money and how you got there. And then next time we'll talk about like the educational side. Oh, uh, you're your assuming story. we invite you back. Oh, I know I'll be invited back. I'll be the number one listen to <laughs> podcast. <laughs> I love it. All right. So you sling that so first question. Good. Yeah. Yeah. Let's All do right. it. Let's All right. 
cool. Um, let's see. So I'm really curious. I'm wondering what your first money memory was. If you can remember that very first time, your memory like about that. money, what was that? And can you describe it to us? Um, my very first money time was probably when I used to keep two savings accounts, even when I was in my teens, my grandmother on my dad's side, when you got a certain age, she would take you to the bank and start your savings account. So she did that to our cousins, but then when it hit our age, she kind of stopped as she had gotten older and mm -hmm. she didn't do that. But then, so I said, well, what the heck? I'll, I have a, two banks that I deal with. So I, I put money in there. And my first recollection of the craziness of things uh, was my mom found that I had a couple of savings accounts and she just went right off. You know, bad as we need money and you got two savings accounts. What's this? <laughs> so that was my uh, recollection. Growing up, you know, in the um, church was really, um, I wouldn't say detrimental, but it was like, oh, you know, you don't have to save. You don't have to do this. You don't have to do certain things with money because... The Lord is going to take care of you. And here you now you have the mega preachers sucking up people's money because he's trying to show people how to take care of people. Well, I want to get to that at some point, because I do think like religious aspects, cultural aspects, societal aspects can play into money history as well. So I do want to kind of explore that. But I'm curious about your first money memory. You mentioned that you had a few savings accounts and your mom found out about them. Yeah. Um, do you remember how old you were? Um, them? I think at that point I was 19. Okay. Yeah. So were there other memories that you can think of, even as a child, I know often people can think about, you know, finding a quarter on the ground for the first time, or maybe you had an uncle that would give you a dollar, put a dollar in your hand whenever you went over his house or something like that. Do you remember anything like in your early childhood no. about money? I, I remember one, Mr. Um, what was his name? Mr. Cleophas, I think. Wait, wait. His yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, hang on, Mr. Mr. Cleophas. <laughs> and he lived, we, we had a three-story uh, house. It was like a duplex type thing. And uh, dad would rent to other people. And Mr. Cleophas, I think he was downstairs. We were upstairs. And one day he was coming home with his groceries. So he had his hands full and he says, hey, man, you want to help me? I'll pay you. So, um, yeah, I grabbed a couple bags and we walked home. We talked about it and he reached in his pocket and pulled out a penny <laughs> and he gave me a penny. He said, thank you. Have a good day. But this was a penny in the sixties. So that had to be worth something. Right? <coughs> a penny is a penny. I don't give a who sixties <laughs> or the two thousands. And you get a, a joker that gives you a penny instead. He could have given me a quarter. You can't get nothing with a penny. Hardly. You got penny candy, but, uh, to hand me that penny, like it was so much. I looked at him. I never forget. I said, you cheap sucker, you. I can find a penny on the ground. And our other episodes of money was uh, my grandmother on my mom's side. Um, my step granddad, he uh, would drink a lot. And um, so we had to, on Fridays, we would make sure and go to uh, his job because Gagi would stand there and get the money from him. If we did not go to his job <coughs> and get the money early, when he left, he'd cash the check and he must have cashed it at the, at the place where he worked. And then he would go straight to the liquor store. So we would, if we missed him by a couple of minutes, we would just find a tra trail of money. <coughs> I'm going to get something to drink. 
Excuse me. I'll be right back. Okay. Oh, I gotta get some water. Nate, while well, that's getting water, I'm curious what your first money memory is. Um, I wouldn't say this is my first money memory. I think if I sat down and thought about it more, I could figure out something better. But the first one that like stands out to me was in fifth grade. Everybody was getting Game Boy Advances. This was back when like they were huge. And I worked my butt off to try to like earn money around the house through chores because we used to like earn money through chores, but it was on a credit system. So you wouldn't see that money. You just had to like build it up until you could use it. Mm -hmm. um, so I worked my butt off on chores, did great in school and was able to have enough money to get a Game Boy Advance and the Legend of Zelda Link to the Past that you could play with friends. And I went, I remember, I just remember late at night going into mom and dad's room because it was always like that. Like our rooms were at the front of the house and then theirs was at the back. So we'd have to walk down the hallway, take a left, knocked on the door and said, hey, I got enough money saved up. Can I go ahead and get this? And I remember them being like, ah, I actually, like I know you've earned the money from working chores for us. I don't know if we have the money to be able to get that for you. And I think it might have been Christmas that dad had gone up to New Jersey. And not only did I get the Game Boy Advance, I got like the special edition Midnight Blue Game Boy Advance with all that money I accrued through working for chores. I think I was like, I was fifth grade. So I was like 10 years old, something like that. Right. So and he I bought you the, the Game Boy up in Jersey or where does Jersey relate? He bought it in Jersey because it was tax free or okay. Delaware or tax free. Somewhere up there where it was yeah. tax free. So that oh, like okay. save the 30, $40 on it. Mm -hmm. and you buy the product itself and then he would he drove it back down um mm -hmm. and i was able to get the game boy advance but that's like the first i mean i guess it's the first big purchase i don't really remember much about money before then because i didn't need to you know everything sure. was paid for as a kid no that makes sense yeah i i go between because i don't remember what ages i was but i remember one particular memory where sam and i would make lemonade and we'd go to the end of the driveway and try and sell it right <laughs> Yes. And I think we'd sell it for like 50 cents or something like that. We'd yeah. make a poster. We'd stir up the little lemonade. I forget what the can was. Mom country would time. Canisters, it was country time. Little so we would time. stir up the lemonade. Sam and I would go down with a little table to the end of the driveway and sell it for 50 cents. And I think one time I had crossed out 50 cents and put like a dollar or something like that. I upsell. I was trying to upsell it. <laughs> and I don't think I told mom and dad about that, but I remember coming back in the house and mom and dad were like, did you cross that out and put a dollar? Were people paying a dollar for the lemonade? And I'm like, yeah. And I remember them being like, you're going to be like a lawyer or a salesperson or an attorney <laughs> or something the way that you're, you're out here scheming on people. So I just remember that vividly. I don't remember how old I was, but I do remember that was probably one of my earliest money memories um, in life. So it's interesting just to think back about childhood and yeah. how some of those memories affect you're spending today or your beliefs around money. Um, so yeah, that was interesting. That's probably one of my favorite questions. I would say, dad, I hear you talk a lot about the history of your family's economic circumstances. And oh, so yeah. I'm curious, was there a time were Nurma and Papa alive for um, the depression or like some sort of war strike or some time where you kind of remember that it was tight on money? Yeah, because uh, dad was born <clears throat> right at the Depression, right after 1930. Was he? Okay. Mom was born 1934, so she was, you know, past that point, and probably the country was getting back mm -hmm. financially better. But daddy um, daddy was like his mother. Uh, when he went into the Army, he sent all his money home, and uh, when he got out the Army, grandma had every penny saved for him. Wow. She yeah. would not spend it at all. 
Wow. And uh, that's what got him his start. And he never would spend money. Um, but then, you know, when he got married and uh, we started having, they started having kids like us, then he couldn't control it as much. Sure. But uh, he was always, even, even later in life, daddy was always very frugal with his money. Uh, mom was the one that was a little bit freer with hers, but she would run around and take money and bless people. So that's mm -hmm. why she consistently kept her blessings, you know? Yeah. And that came from, I'm assuming, some sort of religious belief. Um, yeah. Giving and, re that, and receiving more. Yeah. Well, growing up in the Pentecostal church, the oneness Pentecostals, as they would say, um, the whole thing was, you know, uh, be like Christ, um, be humble, uh, don't save money. Um, and, you know, give your money away to people and stuff like that. <clears throat> oh, that's pretty neat. But at some point you have to, you know, know that you have to retain a little bit yourself for tight times yourself. Mm -hmm. And we were just, because it was so many of us, it was what, uh, at one point, um, the six of us. And, um, every, you know, it was just tough with daddy working and mom not working sometime. So it was always a bill or two. And then he started the church. And that was also uh, a very ch big challenge with, money here and that's why i started saving my money i would save and um to do things i wanted to do later you know go on trips and stuff like that but it was always a little friction in the house when you'd pop up and have some saved money and everybody said oh well you have money what what's what's going on um even mm -hmm. as far as my uh, sister when she got married you know she borrowed some money and later on she told me i'm not i'm not gonna pay you back um you already have money <laughs> so those were some of the challenges that we hit as we grew up and do you feel like any of Nurma and Papa's money decisions continue to affect you today at all? No, no. We've gotten past that. Um, we we try to, you know, keep a little, maintain a little bit here and there for when times get tight and mm -hmm. you try to pay up your, your house payment, stuff like that. You know, you want to be ahead of, ahead of the curve instead of behind the curve all the time. We grew up pretty much... Um, every week living what they the put and take you put so much money away and then you take it you put so much money away and you take it and so i just said i didn't want to live like that you know for the rest of my life <clears throat> yeah sure i can imagine that's probably hard too like when you learn a habit or you see your parents do something one way yeah. it's probably hard for you to step back and be like oh this is actually how i want to live my my life like financially. yeah, <clears throat> yeah. and that's you have a little bit where you can do things yeah. And go places, you know? Yeah. Right. For sure. Um, Nate, what about you? What did mom and dad teach you about money? How did they address money? Did they talk about it at the dinner table? No. <laughs> I don't I don't I don't really remember a lot of money conversations back and forth. Um it was less of a uh yeah, it was less of a like here is how you do this and what you need to do and more of hey if you if you give it'll be given back to you like more of the the uh ethereal's not the word but the belief system around money and less mm -hmm. of the actual uh put this in a five percent cd here and take this to leverage against that to invest in this stock like it was less of that which i don't think is a bad thing and more of just hey when you need the money you'll have it and mm -hmm. uh you know, keep, you'll just, that's pretty much it. Yeah. So less of the tactical yeah. money stuff and like numerical stuff more. So like you said, beliefs and values, like instilling, like be a good human with your money type. Of exactly. Stuff. Yep. Yeah. And then like you, 
you only have one life. It's not like you're, I'm not saving money for anything after I'm dead. Like I, I'm not, what am I going to do with it? You know? Yeah. So yeah. it's not, not spending recklessly, but understanding that you got to live, you know? Yeah. No, for sure. Yeah. And that's one thing we talked about because Nate and I, and we've talked about it too, dad, about how, like, I think experiences were instilled in us. It wasn't yeah. necessarily <laughs> like, you know, save all your money, squirrel it away, be stingy with it. But instead, like, Give to those who need it. Be generous because you know it's going to come back double, triple, quadruple the, the amount. Yeah. But also, like, experience something. Travel, meet people, like, push yourself out of where you'd normally be and use money to do that because that's really how you're rich, quote that's unquote. How you, yeah, yeah. And, I mean, <clears throat> just, um, what, a month or so ago, and I might have shared this with Nathan, um, I run into a guy whose sister had passed away. And he says, man, he says it was crazy because – we grew up with not a lot of money and my sister got this government job when she was 20 and she worked for 40 years, you know, mm. at the same job in DC, she saved her money and saved it for retirement. And she got brain cancer at 60 years old and died at 61. He said she never had a chance to enjoy her money. And see, when you, when you see people like that and you, you think, wow, take, take a little time and enjoy life, go out and run in the apple orchards or, uh, you know, Hang go on. up to the wineries and just hang on. Maybe how 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 often are you running through apple orchards, Dad? Um, <clears throat> I haven't done that in a while, but I'm just saying that's on <laughs> no, my bucket on. list. <laughs> have you ever? Have you ever ran through an apple orchard? Yeah, uh, Grandpa had a small little oh, orchard oh. at his house, and he had persimmons. What's wrong? I of course, yeah. of course, there's got to be some story attaching it. <laughs> now we we didn't run through butt naked. That that would be a different day. No one, no one said that. Like, no one. Said, oh, okay. No I, I could imagine that. you're tipping through the. No, the why? Woods. Why are you imagining me naked in an apple orchard? <laughs> <laughs> I think it would make the story better. I don't. To be dramatic. Uh, Tiptoe uh, through the orchards. Oh my God. <laughs> That's my acapella voice. <laughs> Sorry, I just had to point that out. The first thing you thought of to do with money is to run through an apple orchard. Yeah, I have a very vivid imagination. And if <laughs> while you're running through the apple orchard, it could be snowing. And if you're running through and you're grabbing the apples and you're having a good time. and I don't want to keep poking holes in everything you say, but I don't yes. think you're going to be grabbing an apple off a tree with snow. Well, it'd be a freak snowstorm. It's just not normal. <laughs> <laughs> there it is. There it is. There it he is. is your son, Dad. That is your son. <laughs> and she oh. is your daughter. That is your <laughs> daughter. I can play this game too, Sophia. Shut up. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's cool. That's funny. Um, yeah. I'm curious, Dad. Did you feel poor or rich growing up? Like, did you have any anxiety around money? No, like, we <clears throat> we felt rich. We, we, you know, we grew up with a very meager background, um, didn't have a whole lot. Sometimes we ate the same thing. Sometimes we had rundown clothes, but we were cool. We, when I never forget when it got real hot and we come into the city and people with their windows up, we said, oh, they had money because they had air conditioning. Our windows were down. It didn't matter how hot it was. Your yeah. window was down. And then you had the back window on the station wagon that was down too. So you, until you caught the fumes and fell out, your mom wouldn't shut that. <laughs> <laughs> fumes coming up into the car just and they say, oh, we're getting high off this. But no, um, everybody was just regular people. You didn't worry about, you know, who had what or status and stuff like that. 
you didn't grow up. I had one pair of dungarees through all of my school because I didn't, you didn't wear dungarees. That's what poor people wore. And oh. uh, we, we called them dungarees. They were actually jeans, <clears throat> but the early days you called them dungarees. And then the girls would have some of their dresses were uh, Ghana bags, which was a burlap bag that had the hog feet in it. And then when the hog feet was out, you'd wash it and then you'd make a dress out of it. Mm. So it had really colorful designs and all, but I mean, it was, that's what you did. Yeah. Were dungarees overalls? No, dungarees are jeans, but they, they were called dungarees. You didn't call them blue jeans, you called them dungarees. And you tried to make sure you didn't, you know, snatch holes in them because then you had to have a patch over the dungaree. And if you had a patch, then they knew that you were broke. Patch on your stuff, unless you were cool. If you were cool, you had a patch on each elbow of your sweater, and that was like a little status symbol, you know. Because mm -hmm. that's, that's what rich people did. They had nice little elbows. I think that style's coming back these days. I yeah. don't know what it's called, but it it's will. coming back. Yeah, yeah. But so, no, yeah. Um, the whole money thing is like with the churches. It was you don't you don't flaunt not a lot of money the bishops would have the money the bishops were the guys that had it made and they'd have the nice big cadillacs and but the regular parishioners they were give everything you have to the church and you, and you go home broke yeah so you you were taught to tithe it sounds like like give back to the church <clears throat> oh yeah you you yeah you that was expected the 10 percent was expected um mm -hmm. and then as you get older as i got older i found out you it doesn't have to be that 10 percent directly to the church but you do give to the community and the more you give, the more you receive. And it, and it's a philosophy that works real well for me. For me, I, I tend to um, overgive sometime, but it, it, it always comes back to us. Mm -hmm, for yeah. sure. So initially you were like, yep, I got to do the 10%, but it sounds like it shifted in your adult life where you're like, well, the 10% doesn't have to go to an organization like the church. Right. Especially so when you see today's churches, how they just beat you. Yeah. Yeah. Your view of kind of the religious tradition has changed. It has. Yeah. 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 Yeah, that's interesting. Um, I have a ton more questions, but I'm going to kind of shift from like money history to money today. And so I would say, well, maybe I'll let you answer the question. Um, do you feel like you're well off or do you feel like you're poor today? I feel like I'm fairly well off. You know, we, we have our health. We're a little more seasoned than we were growing up, but um, our health is good. Um, we have, you know, a house that's almost paid for. And uh, we have a couple other little investments and stuff. So I feel like, yeah, we're, we're in a fair shape. We don't Does know what tomorrow will bring, but we, we know what today mm -hmm. is. Good. Yeah, no, for sure. Um, do you feel like that? Or how do you feel knowing that you're well off? How do you feel about the position of other people with money? Um, you look at people and especially when you see folks that have millions and you see how they um, react or act to, toward people. And a lot of times it's not in a very positive way. It's like they look over people and we have never done that. If, if we have something and somebody else needs it, we can find a way to get it to them. Yeah. Yeah. Like the Nintendo entertainment system in the nineties that we had. <laughs> okay. You found a way to give that away right when I got the Scooby-Doo game. So that's oh, we true. did. Didn't, oh, we, absolutely. didn't you sell that to the people in West Virginia or something like that? We, I didn't sell it. I had no control over it. I just came home one day and you guys said, oh, well, we're giving it to the people in West Virginia. We're I know the lady didn't away. have, the waitress didn't have anything. It was coming up on Christmas. She was in tears because she didn't. And I said, I think my son is, is, is wanting to get rid of his, his game. So out of your mm -hmm. mind. 
<laughs> Did it ruin your night? Did it yeah. mess with you? To this day. <laughs> to this day. But you see how it really developed your life because you gave out of the kindness of your heart. I didn't give. I was forced to. I came <laughs> home and it was gone. I didn't give. It was gone. Use the wrong G word. <laughs> <laughs> Let me put the glasses on here. I see so you me, now. Me, would you say that you're generous or stingy then? I'm generous. I give way too much money away. Really? Yes. So you just yeah. say that you give more than you receive? Yes. Oh, absolutely. I absolutely give more than I receive. That is for sure. The amount what of people's meals, the amount of people's meals that I just pay for all the time, or like if if we're out or doing something, I'm just I'm always paying for everything, and I, I it's it, it's rare that it comes back. Like well, not see, that it comes back. It's rare that someone else chooses to do it for me, and I don't think I'll ever care if they do or they don't because I'm not I'm not doing it because I want it back. I'm doing it because I can, and they might not be able to. So I'm gonna mm -hmm. do it. I used to be a lot like that, but now that I've cut back some. I, I'm very particular about who I will you know extend the hand out to uh because you know some people find out and then every time you look around you got the leech there and i don't like people that want to beat on you like that well yeah i don't usually do it for the blacks <laughs> okay that <laughs> nose you give the lat nose give them them because they really need it they do they do yes i think that's so, something i struggle with because i feel like i saw you growing up dad giving a lot like i remember being at gas stations and people approaching us or you know seeing someone on a corner and you would give them money um or people at church that needed money and you'd be like yeah i can support you missionaries like all that stuff and so i think that's something i struggle with because i think that was instilled with me to give and to be generous which i like and i appreciate but then there's this other side where sometimes i feel like crap i shouldn't have been that generous like yeah. i can still be generous but it doesn't have to be to that extent like you said nate like no one else is going to do this in return which maybe isn't the best way to look at it true but i would say that's something i'm trying to find the balance of that like how do i be generous but then also not feel like guilty about how much i spent on the other side of it too and and we do that a lot with uh, the foreign missions you know like the ones in central and south america and stuff like that and then you have to watch it because at some point uh folks in other countries will get used to that and um They'll be like, oh, you know, I I need another 500 or I need 400. You say, wait a minute, I would bless you with 100. But now all of a sudden you step the game up and you find out that um, it's like an event would be happening. Say a birthday was coming up and they'll say, oh, I'm not feeling well. Can you help me? And then you find out that it looks like the the money went to the cake or whatever. So I've, I've learned to cut back on, on that. Um, if I see a need, like we have a lady here in town that she's 82 and she's taking care of eight of her grandkids. Ooh. I feel like toward Thanksgiving or something like that, we may go over there and bless her with a little something. Our Lions Club guys will bless her with meals and all that, and their church will do it too, some of the guys. That's nice. Uh, yeah, that's cool. Yeah, I think giving's been a part of your money autobiography for yeah. a while. I feel <clears> like then, does that to an extent. To an extent, but, you know, she she um, has slowed up over the years because she just, you know, doesn't, doesn't really have it. Sure. But, uh, I know money wise, my my whole game when I came out of school was to double my income every year till I was 30. And I did pretty well till I was 27, 28. Mm. Yeah. Are there other things money wise that you feel like benefited you or maybe things that harmed you? Um, no, no, I can't think of it right now. Mm hmm. 
Do you have any happy money memories? I feel like you've had pretty good business recently. Um, you, you went into a profession that is stable, at least from my perspective. I don't know the details, but um, would you say that there are kind of happy mon money memories that you have? Yeah, right now, yeah. As you get older, yeah, you you have uh, we have a steady flow, and 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 we're as long as the government stays stable, we're in a fairly stable business. Mm -hmm. Yeah, <laughs> that might change here in the next year. Yeah, and on the laws, yeah. But you know, even with the truck, it was always up and down with that. And you know, you'll make money, but with the truck, it it just <clears throat> in one hand and out the other. It yeah. was never where you could keep it and and enjoy it for any time. Yeah. 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 But on the other hand, you really <clears throat> could that, right? Like it's on, I feel like I've heard you say, "Oh, I would go back to it if I could." I would. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's it's. I think it's the addiction of the diesel, or it's it's what they call wanderlust. You know, you you don't sit in one place; you get to see things, and mm -hmm. that there accounts for not really money per se, but the experiences that you do. You know, to uh, a lot of people have never experienced going out there and running thirty mile an hour on the ice. <laughs> That, that gives you a lot of uh, faith, a lot of um, stress, but you also find out that, hey, I can do this and come out without a big, big issue, without tearing up my equipment. And that's very satisfying. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, I think that's a good point, too, that you bring up, that it's not always like dollars and cents. Yeah. But it can be other things, too. That are yeah, right. like an addiction to drinking diesel. Yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I just, I, I'm, all I'm doing is repeating what you said. You said an addiction to diesel. I'm putting one and one together. And then you're probably drinking a little diesel and having some apples out of the tree while it's snowing. <laughs> I'll run into the apple orchard drinking diesel. <laughs> <laughs> all right. I'll kind of come to a close, but I do have a question. It might be a little controversial. I have two. Yes. I'm curious how both of you feel about welfare that's a money thing in our society. And then on the other side of it, I'm curious how you feel about begging. I have a problem with people um, begging. I don't mind helping, but if I like the one guy that's on the corner now and he brings his little kids out and you see him exploiting the kids, I think that's wrong. Uh, I've been other places once uh, a couple of years ago it was really hot. And this guy was standing near the store and, and I, you know, I see a little girl, so I went in the store and bought some ice cream and um, gave him a few dollars. And then one lady came over and she says, don't give him another dime. That brand new Tundra is his right there in the grass. And she says, I've offered him a job and this guy will not take a job. And he and his little girl squirreled away and went there. Another time was um, on, on Broad Street in Richmond, West Broad, where the Wawa uh, is across the street. The hotels weren't built yet. And there was this lady out there and the little kids were dirty. The little clothes raggedy and she had an old astro van so i went over to the wawa and i i gave the lady a 50 dollars bill i said i need five dollar bills she said oh, you're gonna play the lotto i says no i said uh the lady across the street i, I want to give her a few, a few dollars and um she said oh don't give her that she lives in a six hundred fifty thousand dollar house i said you're kidding oh she said God. no she used to work here she said but it wasn't enough money at wawa so so she would sit across the street and beg and she was making you know two three hundred dollars a day and that's pretty good tax-free money. I have a problem with that. It's it's like people have gotten to the point now they don't want to work. And then when you talk about welfare, welfare is a good system to get people stabilized. But to grow up and start having a bunch of babies and expect the system is supposed to take care of you, I think that's wrong. And that's the conservative side of me. 
-hmm. Yeah. Nate, you look like you have some thoughts. I don't think we're doing welfare enough. I think it needs to be more welfare. Hmm. I if you if you have a problem with beggars and you want to get rid of them, increase welfare. You won't have beggars. That's the liberal side of you. <laughs> it's, it, but that, it, it's fun to paint like a liberal or conservative, but it's it's not liberal. Neither of them want this. Neither of them do. But if see, you if you were to give more welfare, which is a Christ-like thing to do, <laughs> so no. conservative or liberal, oh, that welfare is not a Christ-like thing? No, no, because, see, the welfare system was set in place to keep certain demographics right out there and then and then you have families it's like when you when you look at the black family that was so successful in the 20s they had their own stores they had their own businesses and then when white america came along and burned them out like in tulsa you know uh rosewood and then they rebuilt again and grew again but then when they integrated everything and everything fell apart you had black people that knew they couldn't go to white places to buy but when they found that they could, they stopped buying from black businesses. And then the systems, even into the Johnson era, Johnson knew that if you provided all this free stuff for people, that you could make them become just living off the system. So I'm not saying that it's not a good system, but but it has to be figured out. I mean, you got all these immigrants coming over here now that's living in high rise, high dollar hotels. And right. then um, they're, they're giving them a certain check in some areas from what we hear and now they're going to live there. They're asking, Oh, I, I need this. I expect this. And we're creating a whole new batch of people that'll be handicapped. I think that's the lie and the fear that people have, but it's been found, uh, which I can, I can see if I can find the scientific studies with universal basic income and things like that, that if you cover people's basic expenses, you reduce crime, you reduce begging. There's no one who's needing to, live off this the idea that if you provide too much for someone to live off of they'll just stop existing well i don't know if if you agree with this but as humans we don't need to work that's not a thing humans need to do they've never needed to you need to do the basic things to stay alive and that's it your your whole point is to exist it's not to feed into some productivity scheme to make more money for the people at the top because that's why they want you off welfare you're not making money for anyone on welfare you're just you're you're just existing and taking what you need to live. So I don't think our welfare system is enough. I think it is way under what we need it to be. Imagine a society where everything's taken care of. If you don't have to worry about rent, what more could you do? If you don't have to worry about food, what more could you do? I can sleep and, all day. <laughs> exactly. There's nothing wrong with sleeping all day. But in this society, we say you have to be productive because that's our way of making sure you get back to work to make more money. For rich people to get richer it doesn't really change your anything at all other than you've gone from having free time to having no free time and now you i think the statistic is that uh for every one dollar that you earn you've made twelve dollars for someone else so if you're working for any corporation and you're not within a welfare system uh you are not making the money you deserve but if you're in the welfare system you're not working and you're making money which is the same thing that rich people do the only difference is one looks more poor than the other does. There's no difference between them. So I understand where you're coming from, where you don't want to give people the point where, oh, uh, I don't want to, I don't want to make them rely on this and have to live this way. And that's what they did to damage black communities. Well, they damaged black communities because they didn't give enough welfare. They gave too little. 
That's if you'd give too little welfare, it's enough to push you ahead, but not enough to get you on your feet. And people assume that if you give them too much, they won't get on their feet. Well, no, they're just going to get on their feet and then realize their value and their worth and not going to work your shitty job anymore. Uh, they're not going to go into the service industry if you're making decent money on welfare because it's a terrible job and they don't pay enough there. So I don't think welfare is enough. I don't have a problem with beggars. Just get creative with it. That's all. Hmm. Can you describe a creative beggar? Yeah, I saw a sign that said, uh, I don't have money. I'll take a job, but I'm just trying to get money for beer. Cool. I'll give you beer money. You're telling me exactly what you're going to use it for. There was one dude who said, I just haven't had Coke in a while. Okay, here's 10 bucks. Go ahead, man. Live it up. If, if, if Just be honest with me. Be a creative beggar. But you will, yeah. you will get rid of you'll get rid of crime. You'll get rid of begging. If you increase welfare, universal basic income, if no one has to worry about the things that they need, you'll, you'll eventually get rid of it. I don't know that I agree, but it's something that, and this is what I'm hoping to have another podcast on, is talking about, especially like what you said, Dad, the history of it. Like, where did welfare start? Was it to segregate? Like, was it to diminish a certain minority within society? Like, things like that, I think would be really interesting to talk about. Um, I want to do research, Nate, on other countries that have a full welfare system and okay. see how that's impacted them. Because I don't know how I feel about it, but I'd like to kind of, I'd like to talk about it and research it. Because you know, it's so many, so many different things designed for certain classes and culture of people. It's just like, you know, in the 40s and 50s, most of your shows would show. Uh, a black woman, she would be cleaning or she would be nursing or she would be doing whatever for the white people. And then uh, when the husband would show show up, she would always belittle him. So, you know, everybody pretty much grew up with saying, oh, the husband's really worthless. Or he would he would go to the door and there'd be a lion standing there or something and he would just poof into black powder. And then the 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 wife of the house would come and look for him and can't find him, but see this little pile of black powder on the floor sweep it up and throw it away. Well, that was giving people the image that the black man is worthless. And, and when you looked at that and seen the whole system was changing and then into the seventies, when um, pretty much they, they, they suppressed the people to the point where the jobs got good for the women. And when the black women went out into the jobs, they left the kids there to be babysat by the television. So the kids were raised by the TV and that was a certain generation that that's all they knew was uh, a lot of TV and all. So, uh, so many things could point to racism or putting people in certain slots to make them uh, uh, geared up for certain lifestyles and all. Yeah, that interests me from the financial perspective, for sure. Yeah. Well, even finances, when you talk about finances, I, when I first got into insurance, it was just rough. First, first uh, the, the white guy that I worked for, he wanted me to stay in the black community. And you go into the black community, you go to sell life products, life insurance and all. And you talk to a husband and wife and the guy's like, well, I'm not going to buy no life insurance if I die. Because um, if, if I buy insurance, you know, then when I die, there'll be money for the boyfriend. And it's like, no, that's money to bury you or money to carry her on. No, if, if, if I'm gone, as long as she got enough to bury me, then I'm, I'm good. And I'm, I don't have to worry about um, feeding the boyfriend when he comes along. But uh, those were certain certain structures that just baffled me. And um, that's why I really got out of the business, because I just got tired of fighting those battles. 
Yeah, I'm trying to find the stats here. I can't find them, but as you guys know, I passed my exam earlier this year, the CFP exam, and I joined like 93,000 CFP professionals in the US, of which 23% are female. I think it was something like 5% receive it before the age of 30. Um, I want to say like 2 or 3%, I think it's 2% are Black or African American. And then I want to say is less than 1% are of mixed ethnicities. Yeah. So that blows my mind, right? Like you can see the percentages just continue to drop. And um, we talk about it a lot at some of these conferences of how it's hard. It's a lot of money. I've put probably $10,000 into this. Yeah. It's a lot of money to take these exams, to go through the education. I had the privilege of mom and dad pushing me to go through a college program. Well, to be a CFP, you have to have a bachelor's degree in finance or go through a college program. So there's like all these hurdles that create these small numbers. Why is there less than 1% of mixed descent? Why is there 2% of black or African-American CFPs, you know? So- Well, the market is just starting to get there for that. And you know- It's just starting to turn. And I think part of that has to do with, you know, 2050 and the minority becoming the majority. I think that's yeah. helping. Yes. Um, but there's still a long way to go. So you talking about insurance. Yeah, I can definitely relate to that. Oh, yeah. And one one thing I think is so unique is back in 1980, when I went and, and went with the Denver College of Financial Planning and got all the information, and I wanted to be a certified financial planner. Mm -hmm. And I went with IDS American Express, where Investors Diversified Services out of St. Paul, Minnesota, and then you had American Express, which, hey, everybody knew if you carried the gold card, you had clout. They merged as, you know, bought into the company. It was called IDS American Express. There was only 125 financial planners in the whole country in 1980. What year was this? 1980. 1980. Yeah. Wow. Only 100, it wasn't that many. Denver College of Financial Planning was the school to go to to get it. And mm -hmm. I really wanted to do that. And here we are 40 years later. And, um, you got you got your designations. Mm -hmm. You got your letters. Yeah, crazy how life goes full circle like that. Yeah, yeah. and I think it's pretty cool. And then yeah. even comedy, you know, trying into comedy, and then you got Nate doing his thing, you know. He's got the poop coffee. <laughs> <laughs> Who wanted oh. to go into comedy? Hmm? <laughs> you remember when we went up to Baltimore and sat in the car all night? That that. I look that's that's like a fever dream right there. We yeah. were we were in what was a death row essentially in Baltimore, like out downtown yeah. waiting on the street. Yeah. Watching next the to top a, guys go by. Yeah, next to a dude who was like a grand wizard or whatever. His whole set was about being in the KKK. And yeah. we did our five minutes and they just funneled us right out. It was America's funniest uh comedian or whatever. The funniest uh, uh, last comic standing. That's what it was. We auditioned for last she, comic standing. What did she tell we me? She said I was too white. <laughs> Your comedy is too white for us. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, yeah they off. just they didn't they didn't take us at all. We that you you get like three minutes, you're in the out. Well, they I had their like, own group, they had their own group yeah. of people that they knew was gonna get in. Yeah, the rest the of tents. us was just there for like fodder from a cow. Yep, there were tents off to the side where stand-up comedians who had agents were to talk with yep. everybody about being on the show. Oh and then us, if if you were like someone that they could make fun of on the show, they'd put you through. So the KKK dude was a complete nut job, and I think he might have made it to the show. <laughs> oh my gosh. That dude was off. I mean, surrounded by black people in downtown Baltimore. Just so many KKK things that he was in favor of. It was wild. I think he was even dressed as a grandmaster, a grand wizard, or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> Good old Baltimore.
<laughs> yep, it was wild. But Glad Celia, we don't want to hold you. I know it's late where you are. You're usually in bed by like 3 p.m. in the, in the afternoon. So that's Ooh. also true. And, but and that look at that was a big yawn we just got from Dad. That's the third one so one. far. I know. We we just came back from eating and I had a big bowl of soup. So mm -hmm. it oh. hit me. Yeah, you. I I do enjoy how you drink your meals. Um, yes. Celia, it has been a pleasure having you on this podcast. We'll, we'll have to have you again, but not anytime soon. <laughs> no, I would love to come back. I've loved hearing the podcast and appreciate that you're doing this, Nate, with Dad and that, Dad, you're hanging in there. Oh, yeah. Do it because it's something I know we'll look back on and be appreciative of it. So yeah. thank you for having me, y'all. And you. I think the perfect outro song for this would be Rich Men North of Richmond. No. It's in light of the welfare <laughs> Nope. You know, no. I haven't listened, listened to that guy yet, but uh, a friend of mine, she handles his finances and all. Oh, really? Yeah. Across the way from us, the tax lady. She I handles think, the tax papers and all. Oh, cool. Well, I, she'll have a big think, return this year. Oh, yeah. I think the, the best song for us to end on would be um, Drinking Diesel, Running Through Apple Orchards, But Naked. Yeah. <laughs> They knew when they went down the hill, sliding in the snow, right up to the tree, grabbed an apple. Oh, me, here comes the snow as we eat the apples, running butt naked back down the hill. I think that there we go. That's it. That's the ending song. That's the whole thing. We're done.